Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at startupradionetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Welcome to episode 147 of Latino Founder Hour. Today, uh, our guest, you know, for directly from New York, the founder of Lowly Beauty, Tina Hedges. Tina, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Uh, how are things in New York? Things are, well, thank you for having me. And things are quite cold, actually. We've had all these crazy snowstorms in the past two weeks. It's wow. it's been quite hectic here too. We we were without a without power last week, so no podcast last week. Uh, we didn't have power internet for a few days, but now we're back online and and, and happy to be warm and cozy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the snowstorms definitely wrecked havoc in our supply chain and at a very pivotal moment for us because we're um, about to launch a national retailer and um, oh wow okay. So, Lots of hurdles over the last two weeks, um, you know, that we had to get to through typical life of a startup. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When you don't have a problem, you have another one, you know, thrown by nature, or, you know, disruptive forces. But uh, Tina, you're so pretty excited. You know, you, you have a phenomenal career, uh, a very interesting background. So you grew up in Jamaica and the Blue Mountains in Jamaica. Great. Um, so I grew up in Jamaica. My parents are Cuban. Okay. And they left um, Cuba in, you know, obviously in right around the revolution, the revolution. and uh, um, went to Jamaica because my dad's family had some um, small business interest in Jamaica. And so I was born and raised in Jamaica in the Blue Mountains until I was about eight years old. So actually, wow. that's where the inspiration for Lolly first began. I like to tell the story how some of my earliest memories of natural, clean beauty remedies um, are of my mom plucking three leaves from three different trees in our garden and crumbling them together and then rubbing them on a bee sting or a sunburn or even a jelly um, fish sting and how like the inflammation would magically go away. Wait. Okay. So, you know, I grew up in that sort of, you know, incredible festival of nature and, and harnessing its magical powers and then ended up in the beauty industry, working for all the big companies like Estee Lauder and L'Oreal and working with the best PhDs in the industry and learning the science behind beauty. Okay. Um, so that magical combination of, you, so you know, have the two ends where all of these um, proven efficacious results come from, but the natural source. Correct. Right? Wow. So that, that I mean, and, and that that's fascinating to me because you're like, well, when, this is you're our first guest from Jamaica, from the island. <laughs> We've had other Cuban guests, and which is fantastic. But it's like uh, just you know the source of inspiration to create a brand new product. You know, you you know you ended up in China for a little bit. Uh, early on, you know, before China was even a thing and it wasn't a supply chain radar. So how was that experience in the, in the what, mid eighties uh, that you yeah, were in China? Actually, so I've always been a bit of a maverick. I think that that is um, 
you know, very um, true to a lot of Cubans. We're real pioneers and incredible um, adventurous spirit, right? And um, so when I was in college, I I always knew I, I wanted to be a business person. And um, I had this idea back, and we're talking like 1985, not to date myself, but like pretty long ago, I realized that China was going to be a superpower. And so I wanted to learn Mandarin. And I studied for two years in college. And then I took um, a year off from college between my third and final year. And I went to go live in China. And this is 1985. So we're talking like, I mean, very far away from what people think of China now. I mean, yeah. I, I would go into some small towns where they had never seen a Caucasian person. Never. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But the beauty of that was I actually got exposed to Chinese traditional medicine and to some, you know, incredible scholars in Chinese traditional medicine who taught me a lot of the philosophies and the herbal remedies. And so that sort of layered on top of my Caribbean Latin knowledge, right? All of a sudden I had you know, thousands of years of Chinese knowledge. Medicine. Yeah. And then, you know, I got sort of catapulted into the beauty industry and learned, you know, the PhD synth synthetic versions of all of these properties, right? Like, yeah. you know, so yeah, that was, but that was a really crazy time to live in China, I have to say. Well, like, I, I bet you in, in the 80s, it wasn't as developed as, you know, in, in, in the early 2000s or right now. And just, just for me, try to imagine that experience. And for you, you know, young um, college graduate going to China, you know, just to far end, you know, an unknown line to all of us by then. But then you just, you coming up with these parallels that you're saying, you know, you know, natural medicine, something that you saw in the island, like being, you know, worlds apart. And like, you know, that just right. having that tremendous, Part, but so close, so right? close, I mean, exactly. The origins of all medicine are food, our nature, right? Yeah. And um, I do believe food is medicine. Um, and unfortunately, in modern culture, um, we have made medicine um, very far away from food now, right? Like medicine has taken on its own sort of um characteristics but truly i mean there's a reason why when you're sick with a cold you're given chicken soup caldo de pollo right caldo de pollo, the sí. reason why is actually they've proven that in in the chicken broth there is a natural ingredient that loosens up the phlegm in the lungs okay i didn't know so, that I, i thought it was just a comfort thing and yeah Yeah. No, there's actual real medicinal reasons. And that's why when you drink chicken soup, sometimes your nose starts running. Oh. You know, like you get a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. because it's loosening all the phlegm. It's, and by the way, very good for you to drink. I drink every day. I try to drink a, a cup of uh, broth, of broth. Bone, bone broth. And I put, um, yeah, and I put some ginger, fresh ginger, fresh turmeric, Um, okay. Some flaxseed oil, like and, you and know, that's, that's easy to do. Really yeah, that's super easy to do. I mean, it's literally just boiling the chicken bones with a couple of things. Yeah, and then and that's you it. make some in advance, and then you you drink some every day, and and some lemon. It's super healthy for you. But anyway, so that's the story. So, you know, really layering all of these um, ancient 
um, practices and knowledge and then looking sideways in the beauty industry where we took all of that and then we synthesized it and polymerized it and then diluted it with water and diluted it with, you know, toxins and chemicals and then sold consumers, you know, tubes and bottles and jars filled with 80 to 95% water because water is the number one ingredient. And then all those toxins, synthetics, chemicals, but then we're talking to you about a natural ingredient that's in there and it's in there like less than like 1%, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. So none of that makes sense to me, right? You know, none of it, you know, I I don't think we need more plastic in the world. Certainly not single-use plastic. We don't need to convince consumers they need 15 products when they only need two or three that do multiple things. Mm -hmm. The only difference is the fragrance and the colorant that they've added and the texture, right? To convince them that they need more. Yeah. Um, And we don't need to be using water as a main ingredient when you can add water at home. Correct. I mean, it's a, well, in certain parts of the world, it's abundant. And I shouldn't (laughs) say everywhere. Yeah. No, so 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 that's how Lolly Beauty it was born. You know, you know, you you had this, you know, all, all this training, you know, uh, coming from from back home, from Jamaica to China, back to, back to the U.S. and working in the, um, like you said, in the fashion industry with one of you know the the biggest brands in the world. But then at some point, it's like you know what, I gotta do this on my own. I literally had a crisis of consciousness meets a crisis of health. And it was, it was sort of that perfect storm of maybe if I'd only had one of those two, like maybe if I'd only had the health crisis, I wouldn't have started Lolly. Or maybe if I'd only had the crisis of consciousness, I would have started, started Lolly, but the combination and the parallels between the two really pushed me to this place where I was like, it is my soul path. I am meant to do this. But I went kicking and screaming because I've been in the startup world before. I know how difficult it is. I mean, there's this illusion of, oh, it's everyone wants to have their name on a brand, right? Everyone thinks they're the next Martha Stewart or, you know, right. You know, multiple categories, lifestyle brand. Um, I was the opposite. I was like, Number one, I don't want my name on a brand. That's why it's not called Tina. It's called Lolly for living organic, loving ingredients. And number two, I just, I know how how fraught and how difficult the entrepreneurial path is. And I had started um, a startup back in 2005, which was incredibly successful. I um, It was my first venture outside of the corporate world. I w- recognized at that time that, um, reality TV was a free infomercial and I hijacked okay. basically two seasons of a reality show called blowout on Bravo TV. And it was about this, um, interesting, <laughs> we'll use that word hairstylist in LA celebrity hairstylist. And, um, me and a business partner came in and we, um, developed, a hair brand and the show watched us develop the brand all the way from signing the contract with him really? all the way through the lab to 
launching at Sephora and Ulta, and we were the first to ever do this. Oh wow! You you know what? And 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 this is important because we um we hear a lot of entrepreneurs doing this, but I I haven't heard of this show. We, I'm I'm not a well, big so TV. long ago. <laughs> yeah, well, not not that long. I think we're about the same age. <laughs> so I would like to recommend people to watch that. I don't know it, if you can any longer. Like, I, I mean, it's. I, I mean, can you, you? I'm sure you can find it online. Can you? I'm not sure. I never go back and look at it because, you know, it's kind of horrifying to me that I was on <laughs> two seasons of a reality show. Um, but, but that was my first startup, and it was okay. it was a vegan sulfate free hair brand, and it was wildly successful. I mean, we sold like a hundred thousand units of one of our key products in the first two or three months. It was a wow. runway success. Um, so that was a great story. However, the downside to that story was I was a really naive corporate citizen who made the transition to the startup world. And I didn't realize I had no mentors, by the way, super important for anyone listening who wants to go and start their own business. Make sure you collect your posse, you know, your go-to group of guardian angel advisors who when you have a problem or when you need some insight, you're not struggling at that moment in the moment that you need the advice to find who you're going to ask. You need like your go-to team. And I didn't have that. You know, I was in the corporate world in those days, we were absolutely not encouraged to self-promote, to, you know, everything was about making your boss look better, right? Yeah. And being sort of the secret sauce behind the Iron Curtain. And until you got to a certain level or status in the corporate world, you were invisible, right? You weren't meant to go and... um, And try to shine. and, And build your network. So when I went into the startup world, I had no... It was very early days of venture. There was like no venture in New York, right? So I didn't have like a venture community or tech startup community or anything like that. I had no mentors. So I was like negotiating this whole thing by myself. And I... I was so excited. I didn't realize I was a founder. I, yeah. I didn't realize I brought the money. I brought the opportunity. I brought the team. I had, I built the brand. I d- developed the products. I, I landed the distribution. I didn't realize I was a founder. So yeah. I had this like tiny piece of equity. It was so minimal. And I was so excited about it. I was just like that good corporate citizen. So even though it was a runaway success, it wasn't my rainy day golden parachute right like yeah um so i went on from there and got involved with a bunch of early stage opportunities everything from medical device in the beauty space um to even launching a health and wellness beverage that made entrepreneur magazines top 100 most brilliant companies um so i've touched every category under the sun but my sweet spot is beauty and here's personal story. Like I didn't want to do anything else in beauty. I felt so disgusted by the dirty business of beauty. The fact that we're lying to consumers, that we're polluting with product, that we're diluting natural actives, that we're, you know, embedding all these toxins that we're, you know, throwing over, you know, close to 2 billion units a year of single-use packaging in landfills from the beauty industry alone. You know, none of this made any sense to me. And I also started having all these autoimmune issues and hormone issues 
um, that no doctor could figure out what was going on. So I started Maria Kondoing my beauty cabinet and started blending my own products just for me, not for any other reason. Um, and when that sort of aligned with this crisis of consciousness where one day walking through a beauty retailer, I started thinking about how I had been part of that dirty business of beauty, how I had sent into the universe all these single-use plastic jars and bottles filled with water and chemicals and toxins into the universe. And I was like, that just feels so wrong. And, yeah. you know, it's time to make a clean and conscious change. And that was your crisis of conscience that you were mentioning. Correct. Yeah. All right. No, no, no. And, 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 and it's, you know, as I was reading yesterday, you know, the, your, your path, I, I was just like, wow, this company is phenomenal because it, it touches every point, like sustainability, you know, human trafficking, things that we may not think in, in, in regular day-to-day products like pencils. And we're like, oh, we just buy them. And but where did this come from? You know, was this, you know, done in, 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 in a sustainable way and by sustainable pra human practices? So it, it was really interesting to see in your website, you know, all those touching points that like, okay, you know, I want to, I want to know more about this story. Where does it come from and how it touches like, you know, distribution, supply chain. Uh, there were some very interesting uh, topics that you were, that, that are on your product. Thank you. You know, it's interesting, you know, people don't think about that. For example, even if you go in, in fashion, I think people are being more uh, conscious of supply chain transparency in fashion mm -hmm. and, and now in food, but beauty is sort of the last frontier. But in fashion, people will be like, oh, I'm buying an organic cotton t-shirt or, but by the way, what was interesting when we got involved with um, a platform called Made in a Free World and Freedom, these two platforms which allow us to look into the supply chain and literally trace any risk of people trafficking. Organic cotton has a lot of people trafficking involved because the place that actually cuts and sews and stitches the organic cotton isn't actually making the organic cotton and the organic cotton could be coming from locations in um, Southeast Asia that have a lot of people trafficking involved. So it was like a really interesting sort of mind-blowing uh, look into, wow, even when you think you're making good choices, unless the company is very vigilant about what their supply chain is about, and that's where we, are, we differ from many beauty companies out there, We do not go to a third-party manufacturer and say, here, just make this product for us and yeah. give it to us turnkey. We literally arrive and we say, here's our, our formula. Here's all the ingredients. We source them. We make sure no, we know exactly where, where every come from. ingredient is coming from and that the purity level is, is there. Because, for example, you could have organic ingredients that come from China. And guess what? They're full of pesticides. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, so, not, not just because it's organic means that it's safe and... and, and not because yeah. the farm next door could be full of pesticides. It's like you have to really, really dig into the details. And we do. And on the other side, what's hard for us, and you know, this is a pain point for me, is we're doing all the hard work and there's no greenwashing in anything we're doing. But other companies that have way more financing way more visibility, 
way more celebrity, you know, yeah. clout are greenwashing and getting away with it. So they're taking all yeah. the shortcuts. They're not really doing, they're not walking the walk. They're talking the talk, but they're not walking yeah. the walk. And here we are, and we're doing everything, you know, like as purely and from such a place of of soulfulness and mindfulness. And so that's kind of frustrating. No, I, I know. And, and, and you know, with the... Um... What happened last year in, in the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we saw a lot of corporate comment like, oh, yeah, support you. We want inclusivity. And then, boom, they left. But what happened is that we saw a lot of people calling them out, you know, a lot of leaders. And and, and I think it's about time that, you know, people like you, you start calling these other com- – and not just because it's your competition or, or foreseen competition, but it's like um, – um, oh. You went away for a second? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, sorry, what I was saying – that it's um, all that greenwashing in the industry, what it's mm-hmm. causing, you know, for consumer trust is just to doubt. So anything, every time we see something like, you know, with that, that looks to be too, too good to be true, honestly, unless you start digging in, like in, in companies like yours, I'm like, oh man, th- this is fascinating. But yeah, if you have a celebrity, at least for me, my, my first reaction is to like, hmm, what's behind this? Why, why am I, you know, why am I being pitched? with all this green, you know, with all these practices. And until you get to know the founder, that's like, okay, I, I now I know where the mission is coming from. Right. And and then there's, you know, I just read about an, an, a new celebrity brand that's launching and it's positioning itself in the sustainable personal care market. And I know the agency that developed the products and did the packaging this is not this is not the imprinter of the founders of the celebrities they're just like attaching their name to product and what's kind of fashionable at the moment to be clean and green and sustainable yeah. whereas lolly is really the culmination of 25 to 30 years of my life experiences and my passion and i'm doing this because it's meaningful to me to like you know, I have a theory or a philosophy in life that I say, I will never build my happiness on someone else's unhappiness. And that, that means the planet, people, or animals, you know? And I really think about that a lot. And so when I see something like this and I see, oh, you know, I kind of get disheartened because I'm like, oh, that celebrity brand now is going to be cool in the sustainable space and they have the celebrity platform and you know, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, then no, you, but I, I, I mean, I, I, I believe you're doing it right. I mean, I, I, you know, I saw something too that you had an early on hiccup, let's just call it a product with a product recall. And, but that's part of the building brand. Just tell me, tell me more about it because that was, uh, and that was like, ah. yeah, it was really, so we like to do collaborations with, yeah. um, with, um, people that are aligned with our values. So I had been on a podcast actually um, called Natch Butte. And it's one of the leading podcasts on beauty on iTunes. And the host, uh, Jackie Johnson, is like an amazing vegan, cruelty-free warrior. And she and I just really hit it off. And I said to her, do you want to launch some products with us? And she was like, absolutely. So we developed three products um, with her and 
Um, we launched very quickly because we're a startup. So like yeah. from idea to launch, we did it in like six weeks. Oh, wow. And um, immediately a couple of weeks after we launched and it was like a runaway success, we sold out. After we launched, we, we saw that in one of the products, which is a two-phase Meissler. So it's like a cleanser and toner in one and there's no water in it. It's all like hydrosols and beautiful oils. And we just saw like a tiny bit of a film that was forming in between the two layers. And we immediately sent it, you know, for micro testing, making sure there was nothing, there was no contamination, but visually it didn't look right. And what was happening is we used jojoba, which is a liquid wax. Okay. And when the liquid wax was coming in contact with the liquid phase, it was forming a little film, you know, as wax can do, but visually it just didn't look, it didn't meet our standards. So I made the tough decision and I recalled and we refunded everyone who purchased that product. And what I did was, and we're a startup. So something like that could like kill us, it could right? Kill you. Yeah, but, absolutely. But what I did is I literally um, offered to, I emailed every single person who had purchased the product, offered them a personal consultation with me, um, a refund and a replacement product. And instead of ruining us, it did the opposite. It built such brand loyalty. And almost every consumer, they were like, we don't care how it looks. We love this product. Do we really have to like flush it down the drain? Like no <laughs> one wanted to give it up. And I was like, you know, I just don't feel it meets our standards. It's perfectly safe, but I really prefer you. And they were like, we just, you know, I mean, it was amazing the love and the and the sort of uh, loyalty that it, it engendered and yeah. also that accessibility. You know, I believe in complete transparency. So we'll be honest with our customers about things like that. Like, listen, you know, here's the situation. And people really appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. Human touch is so important. Even if you're a direct-to-consumer brand, you cannot forget that ultimately on the other end of that device is a human. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, just, just to clarify, the product was perfectly fine. You know, but not up the same. It, it was it was it, it was, was a visual, it was a visual issue. Yeah. And we just was like, you know, we don't we, we like our products to be perfect and look right. And we were just like, it just doesn't meet our standard. Yeah. But it was yeah. perfectly safe. And, and again, that, that just goes to say, you know, who, who, the, what, where the value is coming from. And I think that that's more powerful than probably celebrity uh, endorsement, you know, because you, you know, you're, you're behind this. And, and again, you know, for an early stage startup, that could have been, that could have been it. Yep. It was very scary 24 hours when we, when I made that decision and the team sort of looked at me like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, <laughs> I was like, this is like, yeah, it, you know, but, 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 but it worked out, but it worked out, but you have to stay. I think your guardrails as a founder are non-negotiable and you have to decide what those guardrails are. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, integrity and, yeah. um, you know, uh, authenticity and mindfulness are really, really important in everything that we do. Okay. No, Could, couldn't ask for more. <laughs> well, and, you know, 
I wanted to go back to the early stages, like how you started, like really started the company because, uh, you know, we're already of a certain age and, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it hasn't been easy to raise capital. I'm a, I'm a person of color, you know, very few in the industry. So we've, we, we've, you know, we've raised a little bit of capital. We, you know, we got us going in our startup, but, but then we, we hit that roadblock with, well, where VCs wouldn't understand what we're trying to solve because, well, first of all, they're not from our world. They don't understand what the problem is or the real potential and the opportunity. So, uh, and, and you had some some experiences with that as well. Oh, absolutely! I experienced ageism and discrimination against um, the level of experience I had. I also, interestingly enough, had a weird paradox that although I'm a hundred percent Latin, my skin is very light. And I have blonde hair. And so I have the reverse discrimination, discrimination yeah. which is you're not Latin enough. You don't look the part, so you don't count. Yeah. You know, which is really interesting, right? Like, it's like, wait, like. Wait, wait, wait hang on a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that doesn't make it. But so um, I had a very difficult time. So in the. I knew this was going to be difficult. I knew the path I was going down was fraught with challenges. So my first, when I had the idea of Lolly and I incorporated, I decided to self-finance okay. and um, do what's called an MVP, a minimum viable mm-hmm. product, where I test the idea of Lolly. And so I decided to do that as a three-month subscription box where Lolly was more like the blue apron of zero yeah, yeah. beauty. So you would get a box and you would make your own products. And not that that was my business model per se, but it was because I wanted to see what level of zero waste, waterless, um, food grade and personalized skincare women cared about. And so that first iteration that I self-finance, and believe me, I don't have a lot of money. So it was like shaking that piggy bank and getting a couple quarters out and being like, <laughs> can I make two quarters into four quarters? And, you know, like um, fishes and loaves story from the Bible, literally every month. I don't know how I did it, but I did it out of my Upper East Side rental studio apartment. I would have my mother, complete Latina mother with like, the long, you know, fingernail, red painted fingernails. And she'd come over and the bargain was, I had to let her watch telenovelas on yes. Netflix, um, you know, uh, at, while she was like picking and packing. And she, we were watching Rain, El Reina del Sur. I still have that music in my head. And she gets so engrossed in it. That all of a sudden I would look down and I'd realize she'd packed out like a hundred boxes, but like there were some pro- products that were still not in and it was like a miscount and we would have to unwrap every oh, single box and no. repack everything again. Uh, it was no more packing. So, um, so it was, and then her red fingernail, for some reason, our boxes were white at that time. And like, there would be red markings on the boxes. <gasps> like, it's just like, but, you know, it was free labor as your mother. Hey, free labor. Yeah. Um, but so I was, I shipped a thousand boxes. I mean, it was crazy and wow. amazing. But what I learned was that women cared. They would write me and say, what you're doing is a revolution. 
this is amazing. By the way, what am I getting? Because I didn't even tell them what they were getting because I didn't know what I would be sending them. Oh, well, well, so, so, um, how, well, so, so women just subscribe and you're getting a, a magic box. It's like you, you have, They wow. would pay me three. I didn't realize I was like kind of not supposed to do this, that you, you're not supposed to charge someone's credit card unless you're shipping in the next like 24 to 48 hours, basically, you know, oh. you're really not supposed to charge the credit card until you're shipping. I see. So, but I didn't know that. It was like the first time I was doing this is a couple of years ago. So I would ask for them to pay me the three months up front okay. and they would, but there was no picture of what they were getting, no description. Cause every month I would change it up. So literally it was, it just showed how I was hitting a nerve. And how do and you, yeah, how do you find these people? I mean, how do you find all these women? I, it, I got a lot of press and, oh, okay, okay. Mouth and um, but then um, what happened is they would write to me and they'd be like, love what you're doing. Love the brand. But by the way, I just like this product. I don't want to make it every month. Can you just sell me this product? So I realized that do-it-yourself beauty is like food porn. Like you want to watch people make things, but at the end of the day, you don't yeah. have the time always to cook or make, you know, stuff like you just, just want to do it for me. Yeah. Right. So that's when I realized, wait a second, I need to really to develop a brand with core products that you can purchase that meet these standards and then mm -hmm. have what we call our raw collection, which allow you to personalize things. So, um, that's what I, that's what I did. And well, that's no better customer validation than that on an MVP. Yeah. That you get people are, buying just something that they haven't seen. Wow. I have the cutest story actually from those times. So, um, you know, people would go on the website. There wasn't, by the way, I had to customize the code for the website at the time because believe it, four or five years ago, there wasn't a plugin API for Shopify for subscription. Okay. So we had to build this on Ruby on Rails with, you know, like coders in Argentina and like, I mean, it was a whole <laughs> thing. I look back, oh my gosh. And so every month, you know, I print out the back end all the customers and where I had to ship the product. And I was using like commercial rates, you know, customer rates at UPS. I didn't even have like a business rate. I mean, I was losing money left and right because I really was not looking at profitability. I was looking at proof of concept. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I ended up getting this note from, so I would take the boxes two blocks down to my UPS store and spend probably $12 sending them, right? Like crazy, crazy. Time. Yeah, yeah. So I get this message from a customer and she says, my, my box never arrived. Can you, you must've gotten stolen. Can you ship me a new one? And so I'm like, that's so weird. So I look at her address and I'm like, this must be a mistake because it was literally my address but instead of being my apartment, it was the apartment next door to mine. Same floor, apartment next door. I'm like, somewhere there must be a tech glitch. This is a mistake. So I contact the customer and I'm like, I'm so sorry. We must have the wrong address for you. Somehow it gave my address. So we start going, no, she was my neighbor. Your next door neighbor. My next door neighbor who I <laughs> never met, who somehow heard about Lolly, ordered a box. I must have 
packed the box, gone to UPS, shipped it for $12 to go back two blocks and it oh still God. got lost, which is so funny. Unbelievable. Anyway, so I left her a, a new box on her doorstep and she became a very loyal customer and dear friend. But it's just the cutest story. Like that is she fantastic. Me and, you know, it's like one of those sort of like smiley moments where you're like, wow. It's like, okay, you know, I'm doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is impressive. No, and, and uh, what I was also impressed, you know, you, you build this brand, uh, started from nothing. Uh, you even had, you know, some interactions with, with VCs. I, I found, you know, while well, well, we're reading about your story that they, they point blank told you, you need I was to on, leave. I because was on the pitch. Did you hear me on the pitch? I, I didn't get funded. They were really difficult. They were kind of nasty. Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't know. What did they say? Oh, they were so, they, I did a lot of pitching competitions mm -hmm. and, um, Many times I was actually told to get off the stage because I was too old. Literally. Many times, not once, many times. Many times. Wow. Um, but I ended up winning a lot of um, things. You know, I got into Project Entrepreneur, which was the incubator between Rent the Runway and UBS. I got into Grand Central Tech Accelerator, which is a very exclusive year-long um, tech program. Yeah. Mark. Um, I'm in the Tory Birch Fellowship Program right now. Um, I mean, I'm just like, but in this particular case, I went to be on the pitch and um, flew out to the West Coast, San Francisco, taped in a studio, whole nine yards. And immediately when I walked in the studio and it was my turn, I could tell the judges were... You don't know who your judges are going to be until you enter. I could tell they were completely disinterested. I mean, one gentleman was just like sort of like sprawled on his chair, yawning, like, like, know, oh, this is my break time. This is my break, um, you know, kind of mentally checked out. And they weren't from the beauty industry. They didn't know. They were mostly tech and they weren't at all consumer product focused. Mm -hmm. And... Um, their questions and their comments were just terrible. And I made the mistake, which I don't usually make this mistake of while I was pitching, I handed them the product and allowed them to start playing with it. And we have a, a product, which is our, our bestseller. It's called Plum Elixir. It's a multi-purpose face, hair, lip oil. Great for beards, by the way. I'll send you some. Thank and you. It's upcycle from a very rare plum in France. So that's oh, with the plum seeds. Not the yes. seeds, the kernel. The kernel. Oh, the kernel. Yeah, yeah. Plum. Yeah, and and which is also called a seed, but it's not like the seed in the ground. It's yeah, yeah. The inside, and this this plum is called the Ente plum, and it is considered like champagne or foie gras. It's grown um, near Burgundy. It's a very nutritionally dense, rare plum, and it's tiny by the way, it looks like okay. a fig almost. And um, this four generational farm, um, the owners like six years ago or eight years ago decided to upcycle the kernel and um, work with the French government to create an organic certified plum oil to be used in food, oh. like salad dressing, cooking. Yeah, yeah. And then we started working with them and we realized it's more powerful for skin and hair than argan or marula. And 
So anyway, but it has a, we don't fragrance our products. It has a very unusual scent. It smells like a nutty marzipan. Oh, okay. And, but so what happened is I am pitching, I hand the product to the first judge, the guy who it was like totally disinterested, like sprawled on his chair, like checked out. And he immediately opens it and he puts like, I mean, he clearly did, doesn't know how to use a beauty product, like pours like probably three tablespoons in his hand instead of like two drops. Right? Yeah. And then he's like, he puts it up to his hand and he goes, ew, I hate the smell. And then he starts letting the other judges smell from his hand. And then, of course, they have in their mind, oh, it smells horrible, which, by the way, nine out of 10 people are like, I love the smell. One out of 10, it reminds them of a like a, a antibiotic, a cherry sort of almond flavor that when they were oh, growing up. So, I don't know, what you said, so marzipan is like, yeah. But, but in general, people love it. And, of course, he was like, and it's so oily because he had like, Put it's some, like, and it just started this negative. I saw the tornado like spinning <laughs> across all the judges, and I was like, "I'm, I'm done. This is done." Like, like, I didn't, I didn't control the product experience. I didn't control, yeah, you know. And on top of that, they were industry nascent. They didn't know the beauty industry. They asked me really ridiculous questions that even amongst themselves they started arguing about because one of the judges was like yeah i think tina's right about that like you know they so it was a pretty bad experience actually yeah and, and, <laughs> well and and that was wrong audience more than that wrong audience. But sometimes within a wrong audience you can still you know find your investor i mean not every yeah. wrong audience is wrong you know i show up for a lot of things that don't really make sense on you know i i feel like someone told me when i was very young the best way to catch a bus is to miss a bus because at least you're standing at the bus station yes and i think about that all the time because if you don't stand at the bus station you're definitely not catching not gonna bus, catch it right? yeah but if you make the effort to get to the bus station. So I'm always like, I always come from a place of yes and then find out that it could be a no versus like, you know, deciding up front that's a no. Correct. No, that, 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 that's a great teaching. That's a teachable moment. Yes. <laughs> well, sometimes it means that, you know, my team or my investors may think that I'm not focused because I grab a lot of different things, but I'm always focused about it. I just, I'm an oppor equal opportunist. And I believe that opportunity comes in many forms. And sometimes I'm also really, you know, a true entrepreneur. I love exploring things and seeing opportunity where most people don't. Well, And, and starting from your trip to China, that was the first. And I mean, that, that is just fascinating to, to learn, you know, yeah. early 80s, you know, back then China was still developing as a country and you were a young woman just fresh out of college. That, that just started this, this tremendous career. Yeah. Well, Tina, thank you so much for the time. I mean, it's been fascinating. I wish you know, we could stay longer and, and uh, I'll, you know, leave the door open for you to come back. We've had guests coming back in a year or two. We'd love to keep talking about, um, you know, 
topics that interest me, you know, as well as, you know, ageism, you know, it's something that we starting to touch more and more as we age, um, as we see, you know, the, the different crowds and how we, we are perceived in the startup world. Uh, and that's certainly something that I've been, you know, paying more and more attention to in, in, the, in the last couple of years. Because, yeah, you know, we, we heard about discrimination of race, color, uh, sexual orientation, but now more and more is age. So, and age coupled with, you know, depending on your race. I mean, oh, yeah. so being over 50 and, you know, Latin and a woman yeah. all combined together, that's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah <laughs> at, at certain age, we're disposable. Yeah, you're like, but, but you're still in, in this limbo that, you know, you can be productive, you can have a, you bring in a, a wealth of experience. And I just still can't understand why, you know, people perceive, you know, that as, as a minus, as a negative. So, yeah. well, hopefully the world is changing. Well, Tina, thank you so much. And I'm going to try some of your products too, because I, I live in a house full of females, you know, I'm blessed with that. I don't know about that. Well, listen, <laughs> please feel free. And we, um, anyone who's listening, if they want to go to our website and use the code clean 15, the number 15, clean 15. With clean, um, they get 15% off their first purchase. Okay. So. And it's Lolly Beauty, L-O-L-I Beauty. Yeah, com. Dot com. And follow us on, on, on all your social networks as well and Instagram, Lolly Beauty, at Lolly Beauty. And Instagram is Lolly.Beauty. Yes. Dot beauty. Okay. Yep. And we'll follow them and we'll try some of the, that those products for the beer. The plum oil is divine. And by, by the way, you can use it, anyone in the family. And then our date nut brulee, which is our miracle nourishing balm. Think of it like a clean aquaphor. The entire family can use, even you can even use it on the paws of your dogs. Really? Yeah, it's like, that it's like it's an amazing all over nourishing balm. Okay, perfect. We'll try that. And it's hypoallergenic, I'm assuming. Everything is sensitive skin, sensitive and fragrance free and vegan. There's not even beeswax in our product. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Tina, for joining us. Thank Episode you. 147, Latino Founder Hour. See you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.